welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Really good to have you here today. Welcome to those that are visiting, here to hang out. Um, Make yourself at home. Um, Our coffee is always free every time you're here. This can go down just a touch, please. Um, Yeah, just down a bit. Thanks, Erwin. Um, But, uh, yeah, so make sure you hang around at the end of the service. Um, We Technically, church, let me just make this as an official announcement. Technically, church starts at 9.30. The, the, the gathering officially starts at 9.30, not 10.30 for some, no, no, 9.30, and the reason why it starts at 9.30 is because our in the auditorium time starts at 10, and so you can come just for that, but you miss a lot of the really important part, which is the connection, the belonging, the family, and so um, coffee is hospitality is kind of open from 9.30, so uh, feel free to come at that time. We also have prayer. I believe that starts at about 9 a.m. for anyone that wants to come and pray, and um, that is good. That is good. So get here, come, grab a coffee. It's nothing like caffeinated church. It's way better than uncaffeinated church. Come on, somebody. Um, Or tea, green tea, whatever your poison is, as they say. Um, but that is good. Next Sunday, uh, we're really excited to be able to um, host Pastor Danny Guglamucci here, which is going to be awesome. So he's going to be coming and speaking and bringing the word. And um, for those of you that don't know Pastor Danny, um, he's um, an amazing man and really is an apostolic kind of father figure to so many pastors and leaders across our entire nation. And um, you're going to be really blessed Um, by hearing uh, him next week and just receiving from him. It's going to be a really wonderful time. So make sure you just let people know that that's happening. Um, We're not the big kind of promotion church. Um, We put things on social media for communication and stuff like that. Um, But it is really going to be a wonderful time. So make, uh, make the most of it. Put it in your diary. Remind yourself, be here. It's going to be really awesome. Uh, really great time. And everything that Isaac said, I second sign up for the learning experiences. It's a really powerful learning experience, um, emotionally healthy discipleship, men's retreat, all that. Let's pray and we're going to get into the word. You ready for it? Father, we thank you today that you're here. We come to you in faith, knowing that uh, we don't have access to you by our works, by our own righteousness. Father, it's nothing we could do. There's no performance that we could put on that could, um, that could get you to love us more. We're just here, Father, today knowing that through the blood of Jesus, we've been made the righteousness of God. And it's because of that, Father, that we come boldly to your throne of grace. And I know right now, even in this moment, Father, that, that uh, Holy Spirit, you are here. Your presence, the presence of Holy Spirit is in this room right now. And Father, as we come around your word, as we come around the wonderful word, and who he is, we just thank you, Lord, right now. We thank you, Father, for an authority in this this room, Father, over sickness and disease, over mental health issues. We just declare your kingdom to come into those places. We invite heaven on earth right now. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you, Father, to come and move in mighty miracles, signs and wonders at the following of the preaching of the good news of Jesus. Father, I just thank you, Lord. You don't move because we're perfect. You move, Father, because you love us. And so we just humble ourselves before you. We ask for you to speak to our hearts 
change our lives and let your presence be manifest in this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen. Who's ready for God's word this morning? Just give me a bit of a wave, just somewhere up there. Good on you. Come on, just making sure you're awake. Um, it's all good. It's a lot warmer in here, isn't it? It's like full, the perfect napping weather. Um, if you sleep, it's good. It's, church is a good place to sleep. Um, although you might get a, the fivefold ministry. No, just joking. So many pastor jokes going on in my head. It's bad. I want you to open this morning um, to the book of Genesis. It's, if you get to Revelations, you've gone way too far. Turn back. Book of Revelations, we're going to read from chapter 3 today. Um, I want to uh, call my message today, Healed. 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 Just say that with me. Say healed. healed. But I'm not talking about the, the H-E-A-L-E-D. I'm talking about H-E-E-L-E-D. Healed. Healed. Genesis chapter 3. Verses number nine, we're going to start from, um, we're going to do a bit of a, a uh, we're going to get around the Bible this morning a little bit, a bit in the Old Testament. We'll start there in Genesis chapter three. Then we're going to, rem- um, I want to lay a few theological foundations. Today, really what I'm talking about, spoiler alert, before we get to the end of the message, today, really what I'm talking about today is about our identity in Christ. It's about understanding and knowing who we are. If we do not know who we are, in fact, life flows out of who we are. Religion and the Western church have been pretty good at rocking up, putting their Christian clothes on Sunday. But the reason why the church has been lacking the authority and power of the finished work of Jesus is because we've looked like Christians, but we haven't understand in understood or had revelation in our identity, who, whose we are, and who we are as a result of whose we are, which is the person of Jesus. And so as a result, your life and my life has been kicked to and fro. We've had highs and lows. We've, we've, um, we've have not lived in victory in certain areas of our life at times because of our lack of understanding of who we are. And so today, really what I want to talk to you about is about identity, but I want to expose the devil's major strategy around how he tries to, um, how his major strategy in how he tries to get us, how do I explain this properly without saying something that's theologically not right, but how he tries to kind of shift us out of the finished work of Jesus. And so at times I've observed in my own maturity and growth and journey and it happens in different areas of my life because in some areas I've got maturity and some areas I'm still absolutely learning like a baby. There are some areas the person you're sitting next to there might be really strong prophetically but then you might be really strong evangelistically. Um, got, got there. Um, and so the, this is one of the reasons why we need the body of Christ, why we need to be a part of community, why we need to be a part of family, why we need to make a commitment to gathering together like this, because it's in this sense of community environment, and I'm not talking exclusively about the Sunday service or these ga- corporate gathering points, I'm talking about being around like-minded people that carry a heart to grow in the things of the Spirit of God because it's in that sense of community and relationship that someone's weakness or someone's strength compensates and helps us grow in an area of our weakness. Does that make sense? And so let's start at Genesis chapter 3. Let's read a bit from, from verse 9, but I really want to zoom in on on. Uh, verse number 15. It says, Then the Lord God called Adam, called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not, commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman 
How good's the blame game right here? The woman you gave me. Husbands, just look straight ahead right now. (laughs) The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, listen, number 14 is a really important verse for you to understand. Listen, Listen to what it says. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Okay, so the serpent, as revealed now in the New Testament, is, a, is an image, is a picture, is the devil, okay? Now, most of us, theologically, we understand that, we agree with that. So God now is speaking to the serpent. It says, because you have done this, done what? What did he do? He deceived Eve. He deceived Eve. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go. Has anyone, Coralie came to our house yesterday and she brought a, a puppy over, and um, she took that puppy to puppy school. She couldn't command it to come to me anyway, it was scared of me, but anyway, that's, that's probably for other reasons. Um, what I'm trying to help you to see here is God in Genesis 3 has positioned the enemy lower than a domesticated animal. So Coralie can teach her dog to sit and it sits. I'm not sure if you're wowing the fact that Coralie can train a dog. Or the revelation behind it. But anyway, just like, are you you hearing what I'm saying? I don't want to preach just yet. I've got something shut up inside of me that just wants to come out in a moment. Right from Genesis 3, the devil, the serpent, has now has a position. And so when you speak, just like you would speak to a domesticated animal, come on, come here, boo-boo, I don't know what your name is. This is why you should never get cats, Lennon, Jess, because they can't be trained. Anyway, I'm just going to get off that topic. It's spiraling down right now. I'm losing, losing ears quickly. People are walking out. You said that about cats? Um, my point, my point is, I've got to stay on tra- track here. My point is, is that the devil from Genesis chapter 3 has been given a realm of authority that is his. It says, on your belly you should go, you should eat the dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. We don't have time to get into this, but this is something for you to unpack at home. I will put enmity, I will make you, and I will put uh, this hostility, is the word, between you and the woman. Why did he do that? Because there was not hostility up until this moment. That's another one for you to Google later on. I will put hostility between you and the woman. How did the enemy deceive Eve? Because there was a, an alignment, there was a relationship, there was a connection between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, most of your Bibles will put um, her seed, that word seed with a capital S, because this, theologically speaking, is the first prophetic text in the Bible. They call it proto-evangelium. And it's the first prophetic word of the evangelist Christ, the seed, capital S, Every other time in the Bible that the Bible refers to the seed, it always refers to his seed. But this time, and this is where the Catholics get there, they deify Mary as the mother of God because they say it's from her seed. Does that make sense? And so we don't believe that. We believe that it was the, that she as a pure vessel, not a perfect vessel, but a pure vessel, carried the seed of God, Christ, inside of her. 
It says, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, prophetically speaking of Jesus, most theologians agree, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I want to unpack that in just a moment. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm healed. And just turn back to him and say, I hope not. Remember, we're not talking about that heel. We're talking about the other heel. I want to unpack this just a little further before we get to the crux of the message today and bring this point home because I want you to understand how life in kingdom works, how life on earth as an apostolic people called to bring heaven to earth really works. Because I don't know if you're like me in any way, shape or form, God help you if you are, but I know, I know for my own life, I know for us, Alicia and I, raising our, our children, for the dynamics at home, I know on a whole lot of different fronts around my identity, around the things that, um, that I feel a vision from God that have not happened yet. I live in a tension of having an understanding of what heaven is like in certain spheres of my life, but then I very much live in earth. And I live in this tension of going, of understanding that a part of my job by faith through the finished work of Jesus is to partner with him to see heaven come to earth. One of the major responsibilities of the church in this day and age is to look at the areas that look least like heaven and go and manifest heaven in those places. That was like a golf, golf clap. Thank you, Ehab. Do you know what I'm saying? So we find we're not waiting for, for some weird revelation to come. Like I, I love it in church life. It's like people approach me all the time. What are we doing for the homeless? What are we doing for the poor? What are we doing for the needy in the community? And my point is, is well, what are you doing? Stop waiting on the organisation of the church to organise the function of who the church is called to be as a people just manifest in the world. Now that's not abdicating responsibility for the organisation of the church. That's just us laying a premise and understanding that if God's put a burden and a desire inside of you, you do not need my permission as the pastor of the church to go and meet a need in the community. <laughs> Thank you, Ehab. <laughs> for, um, you, don't, you don't need that. You need a witness in your spirit from Holy Spirit. It'll do you well. Why? Because the Bible says that wisdom is in the counsel of many. It'll do your life well if you operate in wisdom and if you include people in the decision-making process of your life. But the covering that you sit under is not ultimately the covering of Matt Garner. Don't put that pressure on me, please. The covering that you live under is, the, is your own personal submission to the person of Jesus Christ as you live in obedience to his voice through the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? You can clap your hands for that. I'm going to clap my hands too because I'm off the hook. Praise God. But you and I, we have an authority. We have a role to play Let's go to Romans chapter 12 um, because I, wanna, um, I, wanna, I want you to just see these two things and then we're going to land back in Genesis. Remember, Genesis 3 has already helped us to see. Genesis 3 has already helped us to see where the devil is, his authority. Okay? And this is important. I, I, want, you to, I want you to see this. Romans chapter 5 it says, Therefore... Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Look at it, it's up on the screen. Let me read it how sometimes I think we think it should be read. Sin entered the world through Satan, through the serpent. 
Sometimes I think that that theologically and how we live our lives is how we think that scripture should be read. And we place authority to the enemy for things that are happening that are not a result of the enemy, they're actually a result of sin. Can we go a little deeper? James chapter one, verses 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when, it's full, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Listen to verse 16, do not be deceived. In other words, the author here, which is James, is trying to make an emphatic point here. He's trying to basically say like, don't be deceived on this, right? Don't be deceived on this, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every good, every good gift and every, sorry, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So in this scripture, it's trying to help us to see that sin is not a result of God. It's also trying to help us to see that sin is not a result of the devil. It's very quiet. Right? This is really important for us to understand. And so we see the motions. We see the progression. We see the movement of sin. We see how sin functions. I hope this helps you today. I'm not preaching about sin because I want to elevate sin. I'm preaching about, uh, I'm preaching just like James felt it necessary to write in his text to the church that he was shepherding for us to understand because there are things in your life that you think you've got to bind the devil, but really actually you need to repent of sin. <laughs> you're trying to deal with a problem. You're, trying, you're, you're using the wrong tools, right? You're using the wrong tools. You're using the wrong thing to fix something, right? So it's, we see the motions. We see that desire or lust leads to sin. And then we see, James says, that sin leads to death. Do not be deceived, that line is drawn. God is not a part of the motions. Man is the architect of lust, that's where it comes from. Lust is the architect of sin and sin is the architect of death. This is so vital for us to understand, why? Because we just give the devil way too much authority. Now, does the devil move in different things? Sure, right? I don't want to focus so much on that today. I want to focus on exposing how he's trying to use the same tactics in your life to keep you unfruitful in the things of God. We give the devil so much authority that sometimes I think even the devil is surprised at how much authority we give him. I have a personal belief that, for example, when I walk into this environment, a place that's devoted and dedicated to people becoming more academic and all those sorts of things, I think we need to be spiritually discerning. I think we absolutely need to be wise. I think we need to have people praying, all those sorts of things. But let me tell you how I approach this. I don't approach this sort of room or environment looking for a demon. The spirit of academia and yanya, come out. I just made that word up. It was good though, wasn't it? You know what I'm saying? And it's not because I'm not discerning. It's because I lean my discerning into the finished work of Jesus. <laughs> I lean my discerning into the authority that Christ has given me. 
And so I lean, because I lean my discerning into the authority that Jesus has given me, I could never, like, don't, don't be silly. I know, you, I know you watch all the internet prophets and people that have prophetic words every day. I'm good with them. I love them. Some of them are my friends. God, thank, thank God for these people. But friend, let's not, let's stop assigning the devil authority that he does not have. Every place the sole of my feet treads, the Lord God has given me. And so when I walk into an environment, I walk in with ears open to hear what the Spirit wants to say, but I don't walk into an environment with ears open wondering what the devil's doing. I walk into an environment wondering how heaven is going to invade earth because of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Somebody clap your hands and thank God. (laughs) Hear me, it's not because I'm undiscerning or because I'm foolish. It's because I understand the place the devil has. Right back from Genesis chapter 3. See, not everything, like when people come to the front for prayer, right? Like, and I just want to declare this, like we're a Pentecostal church. It is what it is. We're not a scary Pentecostal church, but we have manifestations of the Spirit. We speak in tongues. Block your ears for those of you that don't. Um, we, we believe in the, the gifts of the Spirit. We move in them. We're open to them. We see manifestations of the Spirit at time. times. People, uh, people get overwhelmed by the presence of God and Quite frankly, we're just, we're cool with it. We don't understand it all. We're not saying that we have this like all worked out. We're just saying that we have a hunger for the Holy Spirit and we want him to come and move. And so we invite him in that way. And so whilst all that's good, even when people come up the front for prayer, one of the really important things for us to understand when we're praying for anyone is not everything, not every problem in everyone's lives is the result of a demon. some of you, like, like, you can't cast out the soul. And what I mean by that is while we're trying to cast a demon out of someone because they've got depression, it's not a spirit, it's just bad thinking. Not only, I'm not trying to put a blanket thing over mental health, obviously, some of it's, chemical, environmental, all those sorts of things. But it goes for everything. If you have heart disease, you probably don't have the demon of heart attacking you. You probably have a bad diet. We are just, yeah, or genetic. We're just, is this okay? Everyone's just sitting there quiet, like is he really saying this? It's silent here in this Presbyterian church. And I'm not trying to undo us leaning into what Holy Spirit is saying in that space because sometimes it is. But sometimes people don't need an exorcism, they need a counsellor. That's what I mean. Like we're trying to, you can't cast someone's soul, mind, will, emotions out. Sometimes what you actually need is not not the prayer line, sometimes actually what you need is just a long walk with a good friend that you can unload your, the, the, the burden of your soul and they can pray for you and pray with you and stand with you and support you and be there in a way that the prayer line cannot be there for you. Sometimes you don't need deliverance, you need counselling. And so where's this going? This is going to us understanding that we need to stop assigning authority to the devil when it's not actually the devil. And the Pentecostal church has been wildly famous about making everything this big super spiritual thing. And we haven't just allowed people and set up processes within our churches for people to just really walk relationally through a journey with people. If you lose someone, for example, and you're experiencing grief and pain, please don't come to this church expecting or, or, or having an expectation that we think you need to be perfect. 
We want this to be an environment of family where we grieve with those that are grieving and we mourn with those that are mourning. And at the same time, we are in joy with those that are filled with joy. That's family. Bring your burdens, bring your pain, bring the brokenness of your life. This is the environment, the church of Jesus. This is the environment for you because it's in this environment, even when the grief and the pain and the loss wants to um, isolate you, it's in this environment, not in power, in the big C church environment that you're gonna find healing and you're gonna find restoration and you're gonna find that joy again and you're gonna find that love for Jesus again, but you're not meant to do it on your own. And as long as we keep assigning authority to the enemy, we keep, we keep self-sabotaging our own growth. I'm not sure if I sent these scriptures to you, but John chapter 8, verse 44. This is shift gears. John 8, 44. So we know that the devil, he's, he's just, he's lower. He's low. Are you seeing this? This should bring so much joy to a Christian's life because the devil is not as powerful as we, the church, sadly, have made him out to be. (laughs) Oh, I'm having fun anyway. He is not as powerful as you and I have made him out to be. One of the commentaries that I was reading is the, around why he made the devil uh, or the serpent, the devil, this, this, this being, this demonic being in the garden go in his belly for the rest of his life is because um, that's like, it's in contrast to who mankind is. Mankind can stand before God. The belly, the, the serpent never can. He's been stripped of all his authority. Check this out, John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer. This is Jesus speaking to the religious group of the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were caught up in power and money. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies... Listen to this. He speaks out of his own character. He speaks out of who he is. For he is a liar and the father of liars. Right now, we are, it, it is being established through Jesus' teaching that the devil is the father of liars. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant. Uh, Because of your adversary, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What's it saying? It's saying be sober, be be alert, be vigilant, be ready. Why? Because the, the the adversary, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Why do we need to be wary and vigilant of him? Let's keep reading. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, 11. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes. 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. It says, and no wonder, obviously I'm, re- I'm not reading the context of these, so you can do a bit of homework to make sure that I'm, I'm um, not manipulating the text to say what I want. Says, and no one, I'm just trying to point out to you today that the devil, at the heart of who he is and how he operates, is lying because that's who he is here, right? And no wonder for Satan himself masquerade, masquerades or distinguishes or disguises, another translation says, as an angel of light. What's the Bible trying to tell us? The Bible is trying to tell us that the devil is a liar that his main strategy against the identity of God being formed and birthed in your life is all about lying. He is all about lying. The way that he got Eve to take of the apple 
right? How did he do that? Through deception, through pretending it was something that it was not. That is what deception always does. Whenever we believe a de- or, or come under deception, we are believing something that isn't true. Thinking that it is true, that's the complication with deception. If you want to come out of a spirit of deception or have that spirit of deception exposed, the only way a spirit of deception can be exposed is when you're in community. Because the very nature of deception is you think it's a truth, but it's actually a lie. So we've established now that the devil and who he is, he is a liar. We could go to Matthew chapter four, we don't have time today, but we could go to Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter four and we would read that the, one of the first things after Jesus has been led into the desert to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, what happens? The Bible tells us that the devil appears to him to tempt him. It literally says, now when the tempter came to him, he said to him, And then he starts lying to him. He starts tempting him. What is a temptation? A temptation is is one of the tricks. It's one of the lies of the devil. The only reason why we give in to temptation is because of the instant gratification it brings. But there's always something on the other side of the temptation. That's why the Bible teaches us that sin is gratifying for a moment. It brings pleasure for a short time. But the fruit of sin on the other side of that is not what the pleasure or what the deceiver told us it would be. Galatians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the church in Galatians, Galatia, and he says this, O foolish church, Who has bewitched you? Right through the scriptures we see, excuse me, we see the enemy trying to lie. Let's go back to Genesis and we're going to bring this this to a close. Are you still there? And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. When we are looking at how the Bible was actually written. Can we just go a little bit weird for a moment? Is that all right? You're like, too late, you've got the mic. It's weird. The Bible obviously wasn't written in English. It was written in in another language. Genesis was written in Hebrew. And so when we look at Hebrew, Hebrew is a fascinating language, really is fascinating because letters are word pictures and it's like hieroglyphics and there's all this stuff going on at once. It's beautiful, it's amazing, it's full of so much truth, it's phenomenal. The mechanical way of interpreting Hebrew, which I must confess, I'm no scholar, but there is a mechanical way of interpreting the Hebrew text, which means we take exactly what is written and we write our closest English word in that correct order to interpret it. Now, the problem with us only mechanically translating Hebrew into English is at times it doesn't make sense. Like, so for example, this, um, he, w- he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel if we were to interpret it mechanically, so Hebrew letter by Hebrew letter or word verbatim, it would literally say, he will strike you head, you will strike him heel. He will strike you head. And then there's this whole idea of, well, what does head and heel mean? How do we interpret the text? Has the interpretation been done correctly. Remember when we were speaking about Ecclesia or Ecclesia and we were talking about how Tyndale was put under pressure, ultimately executed for not interpreting the word Ecclesia as the word church. Instead, he wanted to interpret that word as the word Christ's 
Christ's congregation. That's right, Christ's Christ congregation. And the king at the time said you cannot interpret it as that because it gives too much power to the people. Read it. It's historical. It's really fascinating. You must interpret it as church. Because why? Because we control the church. Because <laughs> it was called the Church of England. And when you make it Christ's congregation, you make it the Church of Jesus. And so we've got to wrestle with translation in safe environments. So this says, he will strike you head, you will strike him heel. Fast forward now to Genesis chapter 25. So I mentioned that this is like a prophetic declaration. The seed is about to do something incredible. It's going to be phenomenal. And so the author of Genesis, which happens to be Moses, says this in verses 25, chapter 25. This is the next time we see this Hebrew word for heal mentioned. And it says, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red and he was like a hairy garment all over. Wives, look forward. And so, so they called him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And here, the author is wanting you to know that there is a direct connection from Genesis chapter 3 to this. It uses the exact same word, his heel. And we know that Jacob's name means supplanter or deceiver, or liar. And so we have this connection between Genesis chapter 3, verses 15, and Genesis chapter 25, verses 26. Now let's keep reading just for, for the sake of it. Job chapter 18, verses 8 to 10. One of the other only nine times this word heal is mentioned in the Bible. For he, shall, for he is cast into the net by his own feet. And he walks into a snare. A net takes him by the heel. So imagine how a net takes you by the heel through deception, doesn't it? What, how, how does it take you? Because you don't know what's there. It's tricking to you. It's tricking you. And so it takes you by the heel. It's trying to say as well that there's deception, there's a lie there's, a, there's um, something hidden from you, verse 10 says. Psalms 41, 7 and 9. All who hate me whisper against me. Just give me two more minutes and I'll be done. Against me they de devise my hurt. And evil desire they say cling to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up, rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend, right? Listen, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, this is sounding quite prophetic, isn't it? Who ate my bread has lifted up his, his heel. Jeremiah 13, 22. And if you say in your heart, why have you done these, why have these things come upon me? For the greatness of your iniquity, your skirts have been uncovered and your heels made bare. What's he trying to say? Your lies, your tricks and your deception have been exposed. Now we get to John chapter 13, 8, and this is my last scripture for the morning. I do not speak to you, this is Jesus speaking, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but, the script, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. What scripture? Psalms 41. We just read it, Right? See how it says, he, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. What's he saying? Who's the person that's about to eat bread with him? Judas. How did Judas betray Jesus? He deceived. How did he deceive him? With a deceptive kiss. I was going to leave it over the map, but I should do it to my wife. <laughs> The one that I kiss is the one 
It was an act of betrayal and deception. Which brings us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where we understand how lowly and how depowered the enemy really is. One of the interpretations that I read this week around this is like, you will strike his head. He will, he will crush your head. And you will trick him. There's a bit of allegory involved in this interpretation, but as we connect the dots theologically around this word healed, we realize that the devil is trying to deceive the church to think that they are something that they are not, to think that he is something that he is not. And so the enemy's plan right throughout time is about trying to deceive you that you are lower than him, but really he is lower than you. The, the, the enemy and the church have just lent into this hook, line and sinker so as we lean into what the Spirit is doing and saying in our community, in our church, for our world, as God begins to move in this place and through your life, in your homes, with your family and your children, please can we make sure that we have the devil in his rightful place? Please can we make sure that we understand that our identity in Jesus was bought with a price and then when, when Jesus said it is finished, all the powers of darkness came under the feet of Jesus and we are the body, we are the, we are the feet of Jesus as the body of Christ. Can we please understand when we walk into the most secular dark places in the world, can we please, my God, help us to understand that we walk into those environments with authority over every demonic force. When we do come to a place where we have to, where someone is manifesting or is demon possessed or has something going on, can we please walk into that place not with fear, not with our tail between our legs, wondering, hoping, but can we approach it like Mark chapter 11, 24, that whatever we asked for from God in prayer. If we believe in our hearts, he shall do it. Can we please approach our praise and our worship? Not wondering, I hope the devil's not in this room today, but can we please approach the throne room of God saying, Jesus, thank you. You wiped away all of my sins. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Can we please approach our workplaces? Not thinking, wow, these are really secular environments. I'm scared. I don't have any spiritual authority. Can we please approach these places understanding the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus? Can we understand that we have authority in Jesus' mighty name? Authority in Jesus' mighty name. Authority. This is the, the ground, this is level one of understanding the spirit realm. You must understand who you are. You get, don't have time for it, I've got to be finished. I've got to go, we've got to go. The seven sons of Sceva that got beaten up by demons, why did they get beaten up by demons? Because they tried to cast a demon out in the name of someone else's identity. So when you operate out of, your, out of someone else's authority, when you operate not having an understanding of the finished work of Jesus, and you willy-nilly enter into spiritual combat, not truly knowing, I'm not... Um, what I'm trying to do today is I'm trying to help the truly knowing part. I'm trying to help the identity part. I'm not asking us to all become Ghostbusters now. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Who are you going to call? Empower Church. <laughs> Wisdom's important. Understanding the full measure of the truth is important. 
Because we do live in a world that's got a lot of spiritual stuff going on. I'm not asking you to be ignorant. What I'm, so I'm not asking you today, the altar call isn't like, who wants to be a demon slayer? Come down the front. The altar call is, who wants to be like Jesus? Who wants to know who they are in Christ? Amen? You don't need to go looking for demons when you carry an authority in Christ. They manifest all around you in different ways. Anyway, too many tangents. Too much study this week. Come on, can we pray? Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to pray. David, we're just going to play a track, man. We're just going to play a song. Would you put the worship album on, please, Grace? Because I'm just acknowledging I've gone long. Some people might want to continue to hang around, get prayer. Our prayer team are going to come again. You might, might be in this place thinking, man, I really actually need the Holy Spirit to help me to understand who I am in Jesus. That's what we call in the Pentecostal church, the altar call, but that's the response today. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you and would help you. I pray that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. (laughs) See, it's an opposite kingdom. It's the father of lies and it's the Spirit of truth. And so the only way that you find that truth is by leaning into Him, by leaning into the person of Jesus. And the only way we can do that is the Holy Spirit. And so I want to bless you for being here today. Blessed in your coming, blessed in your going. The Lord be with you this week. May His favour be upon you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and your children and your children's children. May no sickness come upon you in the name of Jesus. May everything you touch be blessed in Jesus' mighty name. May the anointing of God rest on your home. May you encounter Him in a new way. May the Word of God come alive to you. May it reveal the person of Jesus. May you have dreams and visions. I declare that over your life today. And I bless you to know that Jesus is Lord. I bless you to know today that Jesus, that Jesus is Lord and that the devil is under your feet. In the name of Jesus. If you want to respond, our prayer team are going to come. Crank it up a bit, Erwin. Um, coffee's happening. Tea's happening. Um, collect your kids from eKids. God bless you. But if you want to respond, come on. The Holy Spirit's here. I sense it. If you want to do that, Come.